0: Timothy chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and reading from verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, Perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Amen. Now there are many who say that the Bible is irrelevant, that it is merely a relic of a bygone, unenlightened age. The Times have changed, society has moved on, customs and habits have evolved to a much more liberal, less dogmatic attitude, and now because of that we are much more freer to express our natural inclinations without any hang-ups or restraints from our puritanical past. And so governments, the media, the arts, uh, they all agree that the more knowledgeable, the more scientific, the more cultured we become, then the more refined and sophisticated, the less animalistic we will be, and our values and behaviors as human beings will evolve to a higher level. But is this so? What evidence is there of this so-called utopian society. Has the world become a kinder, safer, happier, more loving place? Has respect for human life grown or has it diminished? Is a baby in its mother's womb safer today than it was in bygone years? I think not. Is it not the case that more people have been slaughtered in war during this last 100 years than all human history combined? Yet we have never lived in a more scientific and more advanced technological age than this. But has greed ceased? Has hatred been conquered? Has murder and mayhem been eliminated? has treachery been halted in dishonesty. Not only have these things remained, but actually they are increasing alarmingly. Now two millennia millennia ago, Apostle Paul forecast in the last days these things would be happening on an unprecedented scale. And it would cause much hurt and pain and danger for humanity. So let's this morning begin to examine some of these things that Paul has written here, and let's compare and contrast and see if indeed we are living in the last days. Now, let me just tell you right off that there is no possible way that I can do all of these this morning, but I will have to come back to this tonight. And because these are, by nature, negative, and I hate to end it in a negative note, then tonight, as we finish, we'll end in a much more positive outlook. Because even though these things are happening and will happen increasingly, yet I don't think the Apostle Paul wants us to live in fear I don't think he wants us to live in anxiety and worry and fretting over it. I think that he's got a higher purpose even for telling us this. And so tonight we'll look at something else that we need to look at as well as this in order to see how we should live in the light of all of these things that are happening around us. First of all he says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come but know this. Paul is adamant here. We must know this. We have to be fully aware of this. We're not to be ignorant of this. So whenever Paul or Jesus or Peter or any of the New Testament speakers, whenever they talk about the last days, you can be sure that they're looking way, way, way beyond their lifetime and they're actually looking into our lifetime. And you can be sure they want us to know and be fully aware and be up to date with all that is happening around us so that we'll know when we are living in the last days. And he says the last days will be marked with perilous times. Now perilous, the word here means hard hard to deal with, hard to bear, painful, harsh, fierce, savage, actually. And the word that Paul uses here for perilous, it's only used one other place in the New Testament, and that is in Matthew chapter 8. And in Matthew chapter 8, towards the end of that chapter, in verse 28, it says, when he, when Jesus had come to the other side, of the country of the uh, Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. That's Matthew 8, 28. Exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. So that gives you a description of what these two demon-possessed men were like people were absolutely in terror of them because they were fierce. Anybody going near these people did at the very risk of their lives. And Paul says in the last days, times would be fierce, be very dangerous, be a lot of risk involved in pain and hurt. Savage. And Jesus tells us in Luke twenty-one twenty-six that in the last days, men's hearts will feel them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. So what will be the telltale signs that we're living in the last days? What will society be like? Will it match Paul's description here? Well, the first thing he says is, verse 2, for men will be lovers of of their own selves. Selfishness will mark the last generation in an unprecedented scale. We're not talking about just individuals being selfish here and there. We're talking about something that will permeate society. A spirit of selfishness. Look at the cult of celebrity. Did you ever see such vanity in all of your life? Do you ever see such vacuous, egotistical, self-promoting people as these so-called celebrities? Now, for the life of me, I cannot understand Christians following the lives of these so-called celebrities. I just don't get it. They're as far away from Christ, they're as far away from biblical morality as you possibly could get. Why in the world would you want to follow that? I don't understand that. But it's not just the world of entertainment. Selfishness is looking out for number one, isn't it? It's putting me first. It's me, 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 me. And we see it in business, and we see it in politics, and we see it in marriages. The selfish man becomes the centre of his own universe. He doesn't care about his employees. He doesn't care about those who voted him in. He doesn't care about his wife or his children, his partner. He only cares about himself. And that whole spirit of selfishness is infiltrated all through society, at every level of society. And Paul said these would be one of the signs that we're living in the last days where people will cast off care about others and care of self will take over. Then he said lovers of money. Paul warned Timothy, who was a pastor, 1 Timothy 6.10, he warned him, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And he tells them to be careful how he handles it. In fact, he says, flee from it. So there's an inherent danger here. And today we see the whole world's banking system teetering on the brinks of collapse. And we see the fat cat bonuses that's been paid to field and corrupt investment bankers especially that have brought whole countries' economies to ruin. And it exposed this terrible culture of greed where you wonder how much would ever satisfy people like this. It wouldn't matter if it was a billion they paid. It would never satisfy. They never can get enough. Their greed knows no bounds. Now, of course, the Bible does teach that a workman is worthy of his hire. And so there's a fairness should be applied. Somebody works hard, somebody's skilled, somebody does a great job, then obviously uh, they should be rewarded for that. And they should be rewarded well for that. But it's gone beyond reward. It's gone into obscene greed. Where no matter how much is given, more is required. And in fact, in James chapter 5, which we will not take time to look at, but if you look at James chapter 5, you'll see that James has something to say to the fat cats of his day who were withholding and defrauding and cheating their employees. And where James talks about the Lord of Sabaoth, who would deal with them. And so we need a balance in that. But I think it's gone beyond the balance too. There's such a blatant love of money within society today. There's always been a love of money. It was in Paul's day, and that's 2,000 years ago. That's not new. But on the scale that it's on today, to the point where a whole country's economies are going bust because of individuals' insatiable greed for more and more and more. And it's usually us who pays the price for it. There's a saying among the so-called elite of society that it's only the little people pays taxes. <laughs> There's some truth in that, isn't there? We're the ones who's <clears throat> paying for everybody else's mistakes. But Paul says it would be like this in the last days. He said there would be boasters speaking great swelling words, braggarts, Such a lack of humility and modesty, arrogance, self-aggrandizing, boasting of their wealth and their trophies and their status and their influence and their toys. And with the onset, of course, of instant media uh, accessibility, then the boasting increases. And they want to be famous for what they have. Proud, verse 2, full of self-importance, puffed up, inflated egos, swaggering, strutting around, proud of their boastings, proud of their status, proud of their ill-gotten gains, proud of their notoriety. Pride was the thing that caused Lucifer to fall, wasn't it? Pride is at the root of many, many sins. It's an insidious thing. David Cameron, our Prime Minister, this coalition government, leader of the Conservative Party, stated just last week that by 2013, his goal is to enshrine same sex marriages and put it on the same level as Orthodox. Historic marriage. So the whole debate about redefining marriage is heating up. And he's absolutely determined, come what may, that he will do this in 2013. Now, the amazing thing is that 600,000 people, including many of you, signed a petition against such a law. And he has completely ignored it. Brushed it off as if it doesn't mean a thing. 600,000 people he's dismissed as their values mean nothing. In fact, he says that you and I and people like us are at the wrong side of the argument. Now there's pride for you. In fact, Whenever he took over as leader of the Conservative party, they had 300,000 active members. Today, they have only 130,000. And the reason is because the grandees of the Tory party are telling him it's the gay issue. Do you not get it? It's turning people off. By the thousands, by the tens of thousands, he doesn't care. A columnist in the Daily Mail, Andrew Pierce, who, by the way, is a homosexual, he said that David Cameron is not listening to his voters. They don't want it. And he's ignoring them at his peril. In fact, he says he could destroy the Conservative Party. And he was a gay man saying this. He says, I don't want it. That's pride, that's hubris. That's monumental pride. He says we're at the wrong side of the argument. He could be at the wrong side of the dole queue before it's all over. Literally. Scottish government, just last week, they had conducted a consultation among 80,000 Scottish people about redefining marriage and about gay marriage two-thirds of them said, no, we don't want it. So what is the Scottish government going to do? They're going to ignore it. They said, well, you're going to get it anyway. That's pride for you. Is it any wonder people are disillusioned by politics? Is it any wonder? I stand here every year at every election telling you people, get out and vote because you have a voice. You say to me, well, where is my voice? It's has been completely and utterly ignored. And sadly for many, that is the case. But you see, that is pride. Pride of position, pride of power, ignoring those who elected them. And we see it in every nation around the world today. Paul said then also, there will be blasphemers, Blasphemers. Now the word "blasphemos" is it, two things. It's speaking evil, slanderous, reproachful, abusive, reeling talk. Uh, the Apostle Peter in Second 2 Peter 2:11 2 talks about those who reel against dignitaries. And so, it doesn't just necessarily mean blaspheming God or Christ, although it does mean that, but it's actually railing abusive language against others. Are we not seeing that on a large scale today? Blasphemy against God and against Christ is abominable, isn't it? Jesus' name is constantly dragged through the gutter. It is simply an oath. It's simply just a swear word today. Do those who use Jesus' name so casually and callously, do they never stop to think, why am I doing this? Why am I taking the name of Jesus? I would never dream of taking the name of Allah or Buddha or Krishna or any other religious leader anywhere in the world or anywhere in history. Why only Jesus and God? Why do I do that? Never stop to think. Don't you think there's something satanic behind that? With a precious Name of Jesus is dragged through the gutter. Increasingly so. Is there a program on TV today where Jesus is not blasphemed? Is there? Very few. I remember years ago I was in Malaysia, where Tony and Grace comes from, and it's a Muslim country. And Sally and I were in a hotel. We were sitting watching. Come in one night. And we just turned on the TV and. Of course, didn't understand the language, it wasn't in English, uh, the particular program we were watching, and it was like a talk show. Suddenly the screen just went blank, and we thought the TV had gone kaput, and so we changed channels, and the other channels, okay, it was just that channel, it just went blank. And we bought an English newspaper the next morning, a local, written in English next morning, and what happened was a, it was a chat show, a live chat show, and the guest actually swore on the live chat show. And the government just pulled the plug like that. It was was over. The program was gone. Never to return. For one swear word. I don't think we'd have any of the blank screens. Every screen would be blank on our TV. If if we had never seen TV in our country. And to think that that precious name is blasphemed continually. It's awful, isn't it? And it's increasingly so. And when you hear little children doing it, it would go through you like a knife, wouldn't it? Because they hear it from their parents. It's awful. In verse 2, disobedient to parents. Has there ever been a generation of children that has been so disobedient, so disregarding to their parents than this generation? Has there ever been a generation that has been so disrespectful to their parents? Paul says this is an actual sign of the last days. You wouldn't have got this a generation ago. You wouldn't have got it. But you get it today. And you see with children being... Bombard it daily with these so-called role models. It's easy to see how they think that their mum and dad are out of touch with modern society. What do they know? Little fuddy duddies. Lived in the olden days. Caitlin, whenever she's out with Sally, she's asked what it was like in the olden days. (laughs) Didn't you, (laughs) Kitten? That kind of ages you a little bit, doesn't it? (laughs) And now with so many organizations championing children's rights, and there's no doubt about it that there's some parents and there some individuals has been excessively cruel to their children. no question of that. But there's lots of organizations now who blanket everybody, tar everybody with the same brush, so that most parents now are almost scared to discipline their children because of what might happen to them regarding the law. I think that Christian parents in particular may be in for a rough ride in the future, because, you know, I was just thinking the other day, you know, this whole business of having to teach multi-faith, uh, and the government's trying to, you know, enshrine the law that multi-faith will have to be taught in, in schools and all the rest of it, well, how long will it be before they make it so that it will have to be taught at home, that you can't just teach your child about Christianity alone, hasn't happened yet but you wonder how long it will be before that happens where we may be faced with having to go against the law to bring up our children in fact if Richard Dockings and the new atheist of whom he is the high priest of them all if he had his way there would be no teaching of any religion Christian or otherwise in any school in any home in the nation he says we're all delusional Is the words that he uses. And so Paul says here, in the midst of all these things about blasphemers, about lovers of money, about boasters, about the proud, he says, One of the signs you'll notice and look for it is disobedience to parents. And boy, I think we're living right smack bang in the middle of that generation. Then he talked about those who were unthankful. Are children thankful anymore? Hmm. Are adults thankful anymore? increasingly will become less thankful. The notion today is, it's my right. It's my right. It's my entitlement. I demand it. The L'Oreal adverts has tapped into the spirit of the age when they say, what is it they say? That you deserve it. I'm worth it. Because I'm worth it. It's one thing somebody saying to you, you're worth it. It's another thing you saying, I'm worth it. <laughs> but that makes for that ungrateful generation who thinks, well, I'm worth it. I deserve it. I'm entitled to it. This is the generation that thinks that the world owes them something. And it doesn't. It doesn't. But they think it. And so that breeds that unthankfulness, ungratefulness, being ungracious. I suppose you could add into that being ill mannered. Whatever happened to manners? (laughs) Whatever happened to manners? Simple, thank you, yes, no, please. Seems like it's gone out the window, hasn't it? You know, I, I'm 64 years old, and whenever I get on a if I, if I'm not on a bus very often, but if I am on a bus, in fact, usually when you go away on holidays, you end up in buses in the real estate. I, I would still stand, if I saw a woman standing, I would still stand uh, to give my seat up, because that was the way I was brought up. Young people today would knock you flying. They would elbow you out of the way to get sitting down. In fact, I'm at the stage now where woman are standing up giving me their seat. <laughs> <laughs> that happened recently, you know. I, was, I think it was Tesco or something, and I, was stand, and I, dropped, I dropped a coin. And the wee woman in front of me says, oh, I'll get it for you. <laughs> I, I thought about that all day that day. <laughs> <laughs> you go home and you look in the mirror and you think, what did she see? Because <laughs> 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 even though you're getting older, but inside you, you don't... That's right, yeah, like, Isn't that right, Clifford? That's right. <laughs> 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 what did they say about you in the Ukraine? Young man on an old man's oh. body? <laughs> <laughs> Unthankful, unholy, irreverent, not having regard to the sacred or holy things. Don't we see this increasing continually? Castigating all that which is holy and sacred. You often hear people saying, there's nothing sacred anymore. Actually, no, in this world's eyes. From the flippant remark to the downright coarse and crass mocking that you continually get. And Christianity is fair game for, it, isn't it? All the vitriol, all the bile that's spewed out from TV, oftentimes it's against Christianity and Christians. You see it in movies, you see it in TV dramas, you see it in plays. I've lost count of all the dramas and plays and movies and things that's come out that treat with utter contempt anything that's holy. And sacred and righteous. The censors endorse it, the lawmakers ignore it, and we have to endure it. And I think Great Britain has got to be one of the worst in the world for it. Isn't it a shame? And we wonder why Britain is going down the tubes. There's no respect for God, there's no respect for anything that's sacred or holy, it's just a laugh, it's just a joke just treat it with utter contempt. And Paul said, this is one of the signs that you're living in the last days. Then he said, on loving. The authorized version says, without natural affection. Now the word storage, we talked about this a few weeks ago, when we are talking about different words for love in the Bible. The word storage is talking about family love. Love within a family. We love each other as brothers and sisters within our family. And usually that's a very strong love, usually. Most cases. That family love, that bond between us. But the word Paul use, uses here. He puts an A in front of the storage. And the A means none or not or without. So it's without that family love, without that natural affection. And boy, aren't we seeing that today. Every Almost every single day, in fact, Sally said to me the other day, we're just reading the paper, almost every single day you see such horrific crimes committed within families. Parents to children, children to parents. And you shake your head when you see it. You cannot believe almost what you're reading, what they do to each other without natural affection. But the Apostle Paul uses this word excuse me in only one other place. And it's in Romans chapter one, verse thirty-one. And if you read Romans chapter one all the way down to verse thirty one, you'll see it's in context of homosexuality. Where it's unnatural without natural affection. So Paul pinpoints something here. In fact, if you read in Genesis 19, you see that whenever two angels came to Sodom and they went to Lot, because Lot was a righteous man. He was a godly man, but he chose to live in Sodom, the most ungodly place he possibly could have lived. And he eventually became a leader, sat at the gate, which meant he became one of the city fathers, as it were. And God was going to destroy it because of their unnatural, unrighteous acts. They sent two angels to go to Lot to get them out of there. And the townspeople, the city people, saw these two angels. Now you can imagine the angels are beautiful creatures. And even if they came merely looking like men, you can be sure they would be beautiful. And if you read this story in Genesis 19, you'll see that the people came when they saw these two men going to the Lot's house, and they came and they demanded to have their way with them. You don't have to spell that out, them. And Lot went out and closed the door behind him. And Lot knew what they wanted. And it says both old and young alike. So that had permeated all society in Sodom, from the eldest to the youngest. It's a way of life. And they came blattering on his door, demanding to have their way with these two men. And Lot, trying to spare them, not exactly knowing who they were at that point, trying to spare them, says, Look, I've got two daughters. I'll give you my two daughters. And they said, No, we want them. And they were adamant. And the angel opened the door and pulled him in and struck them blind. Struck them blind. And if you read the story, you will not believe what you're reading. Because even when the angels struck them blind, they still blattered on the door to get in. Even when they were blind, such was the drive in them that was unnatural. Are we not seeing this today? Or it's not in some back alley, not some side street? But now the march is on the main streets on the highway. And well dare anybody say anything about it. Paul said these would be signs that we're living in the last days. I think it was Billy Graham's wife, her daughter, said that God doesn't judge America. He's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't judge Britain. He's going to have to do the same. But that's the world that we're living in today without natural affection. We're almost going to finish here in a moment. Unforgiving, verse 3 irreconcilable that means, implacable, breakers, the authorised version says. Divorce rate is at an all-time high. All-time high. Vows are broken with impunity. We have become irreconcilable. In fact, in most cases today, that's what's cited irreconcilable differences. They'll become implacable, unwilling to give an inch, holding on to enmity, unforgiving. Trust breaking. Breaking vows. Breaking treaties. How many governments have reneged on their treaties? How many mandates and treaties has been broken in the UN alone? Countless. Not worth the paper they're written on. And Paul says, when you see this, you'll know that you're living in the last days. We'll finish with this this morning. Slanders. AV says false accusers. Slanders. The word is diablos. Devil. It's one of Satan's names. Devil means adversary. Slander false accuser it's interesting in John chapter 6 verse 70 and 71 let me just read that to you just in closing here in a second Verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have alone have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, twelve, and one of you is a devil? That's that same word, diabolos. One of you is an accuser? A slander, a false accuser, an adversary. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Slanders, false accusers. The Nazi party under Hitler began a campaign of slander and false accusation against the Jews in Germany. They lampooned them and made fun of them to begin with. But it didn't stop there. Having made fun of them and lampooning them and making them out to be idiots and morons, then they denigrated them and then they despised them. And then they rejected them completely, and finally they gassed and incinerated six million of them. And what started out as just poking fun and laughing at came to be denigrating and despising to killing on an industrial scale. So when Paul speaks of slandering, even though he didn't know that was going to happen, but that's the results of slandering on a large scale. In fact, he had a, a PR man, Goebbels, who made movies about the Jews, and they showed them all over Germany. So all of society would gradually, bit by bit by bit, believe the lie by the time they went to deal with them, most people were ignoring it or agreeing with it. Few seemed to be against it because it had gone into the mind and into the heart. Now, isn't it interesting? Because today, the Jew is still being denigrated and lampooned and disrespected and despised. And there are Jew, and their Arab and Muslim leaders who have declared openly and publicly that their aim is to wipe the Jew of the face of the earth. Such is the hatred engendered against them. Isn't it also interesting, particularly in the Western world today, that it's the Christian as well now, it's the Christian who's been laughed at and lampooned and made light of and made to look stupid and small. Like Richard Dawkins says, we're delusional. There's something wrong with our brains because we believe in God. That's what he says. That's what he talks about. And since he started that, more and more has joined that bandwagon to put the Christian down, to take their rights away. Where could that lead to? It could lead to great persecution. Because that's what's happening in China, in North Korea, in North India with the Hindus. just read last week where they heard it, Christians into, Christians into their church in North India and set it on fire and burned them alive. So we're not talking something that happened 70 years ago, we're talking about stuff that's happening today, today. And Paul said, "When you see these things happening, you know that you're in the last days. And all over the Western world, and that includes Britain and Europe and North America, you see the Christian being denigrated and put down and laughed at and laws being enacted to restrict us and limit us. Paul says, "Know this. Know this in the last days, perilous. Dangerous times will come. Church doesn't want to hear this. By and large, the church does not want to hear what I'm preaching to you this morning. Really don't. But Paul says we've got to know it. We've got to see the signs of the times. And so that's just some of the things that are coming. By the way, Paul lists it there. So you can see why you couldn't do it in one go. Sure you couldn't. But with that coming, with that happening and increasing, how ought we to live in the midst of it? Because somebody's maybe a little bit scared now. And what am I gonna do? Well, the Bible tells us what we should do and how we should live in the midst of all of this. And we'll look at that tonight. Because I want to end up positively. I want to end up in victory. I want to end up, no matter what's going to happen, God's purposes will be fulfilled in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning to be much more aware of the time we're living in. So, Lord, it will not be taken by surprise that when these things happen, let us look up for a redemption draws nigh. Lord, we thank you that we are on the winning side. No matter what the enemy of our souls does, we are going to win in Christ. Lord, you have given us promises of victory. Promises of overcoming. And we bless you for them. So we give you thanks in Christ's name. Tony's going to come and lead us in the table this morning.